Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we are, for those who have been with us uh, through this time period, you know where we are. But for those who are with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, we are walking through, uh, honestly slower than I thought we would, but it's been good, uh, the book of John, which we're calling uh, Jesus as told by the disciple who knew his love. And uh, all of the disciples obviously knew about Jesus' love for them, but there's this one passage in John 13 that we actually have come to today to take a look at. Uh, We'll see today where for some reason there was a very special understanding at this point in the life of the disciples, special understanding by the disciple John of just how much Jesus truly loved them. And we'll see that actually today. We've finally come to it after 25 weeks in the Gospel of John. But the whole book, the whole Gospel, we've tried to look at it through that specific lens. This is Jesus and his life and what he's done And it's being told to us by this disciple, John, who really had an understanding of this love for him. Last chapter in chapter 12, remember, Jesus anoints the the, uh, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus, uh, his whole body. If you compare it to to Mark, his whole body is dripping with this nard, this precious. And Jesus says, this is for my burial. Then uh, you have the triumphal entry, which, um, you know, I I don't want to. Uh, you know, ruin that for anybody, and I hope I didn't. I got some, one, of, one of you that are not here today said, you know, I'm never going to be able to look at the triumphal entry the same. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. But uh, the point simply being, um, I don't think that those people who were laying down their palm branches and their cloaks were saying, Hosanna, 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 Messiah, uh, save us from our sins. I just don't think that was their context. I think it was save us from Rome, save save us from this oppression, save us from having to pay taxes to Caesar, save us so that we can be just like we were back with King David, because they were claiming him as their king. Um, And when that didn't happen, a week later, those same people were then crying, what? Crucify him, because he didn't deliver the goods. And so the triumphal entry, I think, is less about... um, Jesus, our spiritual Messiah, who's come to rescue us from the domain of sin and darkness and death, we worship you. I think the triumphal entry, honestly, was uh, finally the Messiah is here to lead us to a physical kingdom right here and now. And the disciples didn't understand it either. Because remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus was ascending into, about to ascend to heaven. And one of the disciples said to Jesus, okay, so is it now? Is it now that you're going to set up your earthly kingdom? Is it now they're going to kick Rome out and, you know, have everything like we used to have it? So even the disciples didn't understand the bigger picture. And that's okay because they didn't have the Holy Spirit uh, yet. That wasn't until Acts chapter 2. And so Jesus is changing the the, the narrative from, hey, uh, I'm going to lead you into this uh, physical kingdom that they're thinking to uh, if you really want to be a part of what I'm doing, you've got to follow me. And and what does that look like? Where was he headed to? He was headed to the cross. And I think that Jesus talking about this reality of if you love what you have, this life that you have from Adam and you, the spiritual darkness and blindness, then you're not going to have life. But if you hate this life that, that you got from Adam, then you'll find true life. And of course, that's in him as we walk through and follow him through death, burial and resurrection. And so then at the beginning of chapter 13 last week, just bring us up to speed, he's, he's the, this is the night of his arrest. They're having the Lord's Supper, the, the Last Supper, which we you know, call the Lord's Supper now. They're, they're, they're meeting there, and Jesus decides to wash their feet. You can check it out on the podcast once that gets loaded up. So I'll go into the detail, but the, 
foot washing, as I told you last week, for many people, myself especially growing up, was like the verse, the passage that we went to to prove, see, you've got to daily confess sins in order to get daily cleansed of your sins. Because Jesus says, you're clean, but not all of you. So you got to, it's like your bar of soap. You've got to confess sins in order to get forgiven of sins. And that's not at all what it's about, as we saw last week. When he says not all of you, he's not talking about, you know, you just, you know, said a dirty word and so I can't have anything to do with you. He's talking about Judas. Judas isn't clean. And he explains it so clearly. And so the truth about foot washing last week isn't, hey, how do once a believer, as a believer in the new covenant, how do, what do we need to do once we sin to get back right with God? That's not what the foot washing is about. The foot washing... As we talked about last week, you washed feet when the journey was over. You came into a a house and your journey was over. Then the servants would come and wash your feet. And so what journey was over? The journey to the cross was over. The journey of of the reign of sin and death was over. The journey of Jesus' ministry was over because it was this very night. Let's get our minds wrapped around this, that he's arrested and it's not 12 hours that he's hanging on the cross. And so he's washing feet like a servant would do to symbolize, to show this journey is over. And he also beautifully took off his rabbinical cloak, his rabbinical garment, and he put a towel around his waist to wash the feet. Just like Philippians 2 describes when Jesus, and we sing about it, you know, today, which is beautifully, beautiful, where he set, I think the lyric in the song was, he, he left everything aside behind except for love, is what the lyric was. And the picture of he set aside his glory, retaining his deity, retaining who he is, but he set aside his glory to enter into the human race in the form of a servant. Just like in John 13, he set off his rabbinical garment, showing his his glory as a rabbi, and he put on a towel of a servant to wash feet. Beautiful. The kenosis, the emptying of Jesus seen in Acts, uh, John 13. And so this conversation continues. We're going to actually continue. We're, we're going to read the last two, three verses we looked at last week to flow into where we're starting this week in, in verse uh, 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 21, I think is where this week starts. And so, yeah, 21. So this is, so he's telling them uh, about the, the getting, he's going to get be, be betrayed. He's lift. He's telling them how this is going to happen. This is just summarizing last week's passage, starting in verse eighteen. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. This is Jesus with the disciples, the Last Supper. But it is the it is that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So he's he's prophesying. He's telling about the the. Um, Judas, who's going to betray him. From now on, I'm telling you things before it happens so that when it does, you believe that I am. And in English, the he is added, but the original language is just that I am. A throwback clearly to the burning bush. I am that I am. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you that he who, he who receives, whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. We talked about that last week. Don't want to get into that right now. But in this flow of him talking about the one who's going to betray him, the one who I give this piece of bread to, verse 21, we pick up today. When Jesus had said this, see, I couldn't just start right here. When Jesus has said this, said what? And so he's talking about the betrayal. He became troubled in his spirit. So why is he troubled? Because he's starting to realize the end is coming. The pain of becoming the sin of the world is, is on deck. And so he's, he's becoming troubled in his spirit. And he testifies saying, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. So he's not quoting Old Testament anymore. He's not being beating around the bush. He's being very, very clear. One of you is going to betray me. Now, if you're sitting around the table, you're one of the 12. What do you start thinking? You start thinking, surely it was not me. It's got to be somebody else. You start taking lots. You know, who is it? You know, my money's on so-and-so. Bartholomew, he's the one that's going to do it. And so they start looking at each other. It's exactly what happens in verse 22. And they're at a loss to know who he's speaking of. Now, here's verse 23, the whole theme of how we're looking at the gospel of John through the eyes of this one who knew his love. Look at verse 23. 
there was reclining on Jesus's bosom, his chest, one of the disciples, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Now, does that mean that Jesus didn't love the other disciples? Of course, that's not what it means. But this description is in this tense moment of Jesus saying that someone's going to betray him. One of the disciples is laying his head, reclining, resting his head on the chest of Jesus. And that disciple, he realized he knew that Jesus loved him. Let's keep reading for a second. I'll share some thoughts in a minute. So Simon Peter, so it's not Simon, verse 24, he gestured to him, him being the one who's reclining on Jesus's chest. He says to him and said to him, said to the one, hey, tell us who it is of whom he's speaking. Now let's get this picture. Simon Peter doesn't say, I said I was going to read and then speak. Sorry. Um, I do that. I'm sorry. But he gets this picture. Get this picture. Simon Peter doesn't say, all right, Jesus, who are you talking about? Who's going to betray you? He doesn't go directly to Jesus. Why? Well, what just happened in chapter 13? You know what just happened. Don't wash just my feet, but wash my hands, wash my head, wash all of me. And Jesus said, Peter, come on. This is not what I'm, I'm not talking about bubble bath. I'm just talking about washing your feet. That's not what we're here to do. He had just been, I don't want to say rebuked, but just been corrected. In fact, he was rebuked when Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have nothing to do with me. AKA, if you're not realizing that there is the end of a journey, the old covenant, then you have not, you can't be a part of what I'm a part of. You can't be a part of what I'm doing. And so he had just been rebuked for not really understanding what's going on. So do you think Simon Peter's going to raise his hand right now, having just been rebuked and just been corrected? Hey, Jesus, okay, so tell us. No, he looks to the one who's reclining on Jesus's bosom, who knew Jesus's heart, if you will, who knew his love and said, hey, you ask him. I love it. We'll talk more about that in a second. Let's read through this. He, this one who is reclining, leaned back thus on Jesus's bosom and said to him, Lord, who is it? Then Jesus answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. And when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, verse 27, Satan then entered into him, Judas. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you are, what you do, do quickly. I've wondered why, why quickly? Don't you want like to delay this a little bit? What's the next day? Passover. He's to be crucified the day of Passover. When the Passover lamb in the temple were, were, cruci- were uh, killed, slaughtered in celebration of the exit of Egypt, that was the day in which the Messiah was to be slain for the, the sin of the world, exit from sin and death. And so Jesus is saying, look, now we're on my timetable, Satan. Go do this quickly. I love it. Who's in control here? Who's in charge? Beautiful. Do it quickly. As in, we're going to go to the garden in a minute. Let's do it there. I love it. He's, he's so cool. He's in charge. Now, one of those reclining at the table, because there's 12 of them, uh, knew for what, uh, sorry, sorry. Now, no one of those, sorry, I misread. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. So there's, again, the disciples are clueless. Let's don't throw stones at them. We're clueless too sometimes. For some were supposing, because Judas was the keeper of the money box, remember that from chapter 12, that Jesus was saying to him, go buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give some money to the poor or something. They thought maybe, Jesus, go do what you're doing quickly. That was just, they had already had a conversation, and Jesus is just reminding Judas he needs to go buy some stuff, because he's the one who would go out and buy stuff, because he was the keeper of the box. So they didn't know what was going on. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately and it was night. All right. So I want to paint a picture here of this comparison. We're going to read some more verses in a minute. Let's just catch up. This comparison of these two disciples. 
One disciple knew Jesus' love for him. And another disciple who was planning to betray him. Do you see these two different men in the same table? Love, understanding of love, planning betrayal. Love and betrayal. It's as old as the world itself. Do you not find it spectacular that in the saddest moment of Jesus' life with his disciples, where he identifies the disciple who's going to betray him, there's also a mention of another disciple who is intimately aware of how much love Jesus has for him. I think it's spectacular. In the moment of his betrayal, the identification of the betrayal, there is also this other disciple who is relishing in Jesus' love for him. In the midst of such darkness of betrayal, there's also light of revelation of love for him. Now, Jesus is troubled. We saw that in the first verse, in verse 20. The weight of the sin of the world is beginning to press upon him. Remember, in only some 12 hours or less, he becomes, 1 Corinthians says, the sin of the world. He doesn't just wear the sin of the world. He who knew no sin became sin. The physical pain that he's about to endure, the beatings, the crucifixion itself, it's enough in and of itself. But all of the emotional and spiritual pain of becoming sin eclipses the pain of physical hurt. His betrayer is not someone who just showed up, didn't like what he saw, and went to the Pharisees. But it's someone who he had spent over three years of his life, living with, sleeping with, uh, ministering with, walking with. He's seen Jesus, this betrayer, raise people from the dead. He's seen Jesus heal the sick. He's seen Jesus give sight to the blind. He's seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and a couple fish. He's seen Jesus walk on water, but, Jesus, but it wasn't enough for Judas. There was something else. And I want to talk about Judas in more detail in another message about what I think Judas was thinking, but that's, we're not going to get into that right now. I'll give you a hint, though. I will. We just talked about it in chapter 12. What was the general thought of the Messiah? A physical kingdom, a physical king. I think Judas, Judas was the only one who was from uh, uh, Judea. The rest of the disciples were from Galilee up north. And so of all of them, Judas, I'm sure, was the one who was most excited about a physical kingdom being from the area of Jerusalem that we can restore what David once had, what Solomon once had. When the queen of Sheba would come and say, not even the half has been told of the grandeur of this thing of Israel, which was completely lost and had been lost for generations upon generations. I'm certain that Judas was expecting that and wanting that, and now he's not seeing that. He's seeing Jesus predict his death. And so Judas, I would submit to you, and we can get in more detail on this at another time, I would submit Judas is wanting to, to uh, pressure Jesus, if you will, to bluff Jesus, if you will, into setting up his kingdom. That's what he's here to do. We know he's here to do. He's the Messiah. And this is what the Messiah is supposed to do. Set up his earthly kingdom. And so if he gets the Pharisees there to the garden, the, 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 the rulers to arrest him, to, to threaten crucifixion, then surely that'll change Jesus's outward uh, m mission and set up this earthly kingdom and kick Rome out of here. Surely that'll be the case. But that didn't happen. Jesus was crucified and who then hung himself? because he betrayed the king of glory. Now, I could be totally wrong on that, but it just fits the theme. It fits the context. They're wanting an earthly kingdom. But we'll get into more detail on that. That's just maybe to whet the appetite about what's going on in Judas's mind. I think it's nothing different than what's going on in everyone else's mind. Again, even the disciples say, is it now? He's ascending to heaven. Is it now? You know, hey, can you hear me? Is it now? And they don't, they didn't get it for a long time. So Judas just didn't get it. 
now we know this is all a part of God's grand plan for the redemption of the world. The betrayal is a part of God's redemption, but it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt Jesus. He's troubled. But yet in the midst of this darkness, I love that, and it was night, John's theme, darkness and light. This is in darkness. It's at night when this betrayal uh, is, 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 is identified. We see this juxtaposed upon another disciple, this betrayal and darkness with another disciple, which I think is one of the most enlightening scenes of all of Jesus's ministry. It's not a miracle, this most enlightening scene of all of Jesus's ministry, this most revelatory scene. It's not a miracle that happens. It's not a big to-do. It's not a fanfare event. It's not a raising of a little girl or it's not a healing of 10 lepers. But to me, one of the most enlightening revelatory events of Jesus's entire ministry happens right here in the middle of this betrayal. But the betrayal so overshadows it. We just run past this verse and past this scene and it doesn't stand out to us most of the time. We see this other disciple who knew Jesus's love for him reclining at the table, laying on Jesus's lap because he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus's love. He's relaxing with God. (laughs) Did you catch it when we read it? There was reclining on Jesus's bosom, one of his disciples whom he loved. Now, this disciple truth be told, is not identified. There's no, and that disciple's name is. But every single uh, scholar, every single theologian agrees that this is, in fact, John writing about himself. But he doesn't identify himself. For what reason? I don't know. But everyone's convinced that it is John himself. But can we appreciate this scene Satan enters into one disciple to betray Jesus, whereas Jesus's love has entered into another disciple. Darkness, light. Betrayal, love. Anxiety, I would submit, rest. So what are, we just read this, what are, crowd participatory section of the message. What are some of the effects of this disciple knowing Jesus's love for him? I've got three written down. There might be more, but in the text, what are the effects of this disciple knowing Jesus's love for him? What are your thoughts? resting because he knew his love he rested he relaxed in the very presence of God think of fear and anxiety in most of our lives when we think about God or have thought about God especially in a religious sort of setting fear and trembling I'm sure he was a great guy but the you know Puritans um Edwards Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon sinners in the eyes of an angry God Like you think about that concept of just anger and wrath and rage versus a disciple who knew his love. No fear, just rest. In fact, this same John wrote another letter called 1 John. And I'm going to put this verse up here. Chapter 4, verse 12 says, there is no fear in love. Who knew this more than anybody else? John himself, who knew the Lord's love for him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, complete love, God's love, casts out fear, for fear involves punishment. And this disciple realizes, wait a minute, that's not what this is about. He's not here to punish me. He's here to receive a punishment that I deserve. And the one who fears has not been perfected in love, meaning has not come to see where love has taken them, has not been completed in his understanding of God's love for them. So back to our verse, the first effect that I see is he's just able to relax. He's able to let his hair down. He's able to put his head on Jesus's bosom and just be at peace. How? Why? Because he knew of his love for him. What's another effect? 
I'll go here. It's in this passage here. What's another effect of being realizing Jesus' love for this disciple? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Peter, who just had gotten rebuked because, you know, he's like, you know, over my dead body will you wash my feet? He's looking at this, saying, wait a minute, John has uh, something that I'm not really experiencing and I haven't experienced yet. And before the end of, yeah, it'll be at the end of this chapter, Peter gets right back into full form. Um, uh, we'll see that in a second. But right here, at least. He doesn't speak up. He, he, he has to ask this disciple to ask Jesus a question. And so Peter asks this disciple to ask Jesus a question. Because Peter felt, I guess, distant. He felt dirty. I don't know what he felt, but he felt inadequate to ask Jesus this question. And what question was it? Who is it that's going to betray you? I mean, talk about, can there be a more... A powerful or more important question. So Peter had just been shut down by Jesus when Jesus when Peter wanted about the whole feet, foot washing thing. So Peter's a little gun shy to speak up again so soon. Like I said, he gets over it in a minute. Uh, but right now, Peter wants to know what Jesus is talking about. But Peter doesn't feel connected and doesn't put him doesn't want to put himself on the spot. So he motions to the other disciple, and say, "Hey, you ask him. You ask him." So what's an effect for this disciple, for knowing God's love for him, Jesus' love for him? Peter realizes it and says, hey, you ask him. You ask him. Remember growing up when you're spending the night at someone else's house and you wanted to do something? You weren't going to be the one that asked the other parent, the, the other, your friend's dad. What would you say? Hey, you go ask him because there's a relationship there. So because of Pete, uh, this disciple, it's John, I believe, because of his connection, understanding the love for him, other people, Peter here, is coming to him to ask Jesus a question. So, and what's the third? It's, it's in the same, Lord, who is it? And here, to me, the third effect that we see here is that the disciple asked Jesus the question, and Jesus answered it. I think it's, it's so simple, but he answered it. He knew that he loved them, and that he knew that he w would answer. And his response wasn't, well, it's not for you to know right now, disciple who knows my love for you. Or, do you really think I'm going to tell you that? You've got to keep guessing. The response was clear and direct. Judas is the one who's going to betray me. By the way, did you catch what the, the disciple did? just before he leaned back and said, who is it? I mean, just before he asked, who is it? He leaned back even further into his bosom, into his chest, because he knew his love for him. And this is an intimacy, a connection that at least at this point, Peter was curious of, but it meant everything to John. Now, if John wasn't the disciple, it doesn't really matter who, who it was. I, I mean, I think it was. But does this mean that John understood everything that Jesus was about to do? Not at all. I mean, think with me. I don't want to get into the weeds here. But when was the church born? Acts chapter what? Two. The Holy Spirit comes. People are born again for the very first time. The church is born. When did the apostles, the disciples, when did they realized that Gentiles could be a part of the church. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, 5, 6, Acts chapter 11, probably some three years later. So let's don't think that just because they understood his love, that they believed the love, he believed God's love for them, that they understood everything that there was to understand about the gospel. But they had this one thing understood, that God was in love with them. And in fact, how long was it even after Acts chapter 11 that they believe, okay, fine, Gentiles can be saved, but they, they have to become a Jew first. How long was it before they realized that Gentiles didn't even have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian? Was it Acts 12, 13, 14? 
Acts 15. Perhaps even years later. So probably some three or so plus years after this happens, the disciples are still thinking that this is just for Jews, and if you want to be a part of it, you have to become a Jew. So they didn't, just because you understood their love doesn't mean they understood every aspect of it. There's a growth, there's a development, and thank God for that. So John, just because he understood that God loved him, that Jesus loved him, doesn't mean that John understood everything that Jesus was doing. And that gives me great courage that we can rest in his love for us, knowing that we don't have it all figured out, but yet we're growing as he reveals to us what this is all about. So no, the disciples, including Don, John, they didn't have a perfect understanding of everything Jesus was doing, but this one thing at least John understood, Jesus' love for him, and it showed, it showed to the others. So picking back up in verse 31 to the end, it says, therefore, when he had gone out, this is Judas, Judas has gone out of the room, Jesus, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. Talking the two, the two being one. Both are about to be glorified through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of God himself. Why is this such a weighty thing? Why is this such a heavy glory? It means heavy. Why is it so heavy of a thing? Because this is the ending of the Adamic race. The sin of the world is about to be put away for once and for all, so that the creation of a whole new people, a whole new uh, spiritual race, if you will, the sons of God himself, would now be able to be born from his very loins. And Jesus, he's saying, this is a big deal. This is, I will, uh, he will glorify me immediately. Little children, I'm with you for a little while longer. How much little while? Well, like a couple more hours, little while. And then he comes back and he's with them for about 40 days or so. And then he's gone for, you know, ascended for good. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I'm saying to you also, where I am going, you cannot go. This isn't for you. This is for me. Now you will be with me as we understand from the gospel, from, from Paul's writing, that we were in him as he, crucified, as he was crucified. Romans says, one died, therefore all died. But he's saying, this is my cross to bear. I will die for you. And then we have verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you. In chapter 12, he had given him a commandment, a new commandment, and it was to believe. Now chapter 13, he's got another commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. So again, this is the second command, if you will, that Jesus gives. The first in chapter 12 was to believe, to believe in the Son, to believe in Him, to believe what He's come to do. And here is the second commandment He gives, to love. Think with me. If Jesus' command is to love one another, even as I have loved you, what is the prerequisite? What is required? And I know we've talked about this a bunch in the history of our church. But what is required for you to understand, to know, in order to fulfill this commandment? If his commandment is to love as I have loved you, what's the prerequisite for that? Believe. believe but to believe specifically what he and how he actually loves you so how, how can you love someone else as I have loved you if you don't know how I have loved you you see that so if the commandment is love one another just as I've loved you but we don't take a time out to evaluate okay how has he loved me then what is our love for each other going to look like it's, not, it's going to be skewed. It's going to be messed up. It's going to be based off of whatever experience and whatever point of reference we may have. But he doesn't say just love as you feel like loving. He's given them a point of reference, even as I have loved you. And so even in this commandment, the commandment isn't, hey, you need to make every effort to double down your efforts to try harder at loving people who aren't so lovely. That's not the commandment. That's the Old Testament commandment, to lo uh, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a new commandment. He says, love as I have loved you. So what do we need to 
do first, if you will, to even come close to fulfilling this. We've got to come to terms with how much he loves us. And who is it in this passage that's really grabbing this, understanding this? John, as he's laying there on Jesus' bosom, no fear, no anxiety, no pressure, just reclining and resting with God because he is understanding his love for him. And oh, by the way, who is it that writes 1 John that is one of the most powerful passages and books about the love of God? Oh, that's the same guy who understands God's love for him. And so in order to understand, in order for us to love as God has loved us, as Jesus loved us, we have to place ourselves underneath that waterfall of God's love for us first. You have to know his love for you. And this is where we mess this up. What a beautiful commandment. What a beautiful mission. What a beautiful life. But if we don't wrestle with his love for us, we are hopeless at being able to love others as he desires us to love. And again, referring to 1 John, John writes in 1 John, he says, we love because he first loved us. Again, pointing everything back to the origin, to the source. It's only as I receive his love for me and get to know how much he loves me, how much he's forgiven me, how much he has cleansed me of all of my filth, even though I don't deserve a bit of it. It's only by wrestling and coming to terms with, uh, with his love for me that I can even begin to love someone else in this type of love. It's not self-seeking. It's not self-promoting but it's pure. Now, Simon Peter, he gets over his uh, shyness. He gets over his um, muteness, you know. So he's ready to jump back into things, seeing that Jesus answered John. He's like, hey, I got a question for him. Lord, where are you going? You say you're leaving. We can't go where you're going. Where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. And what's he talking? I think he's talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's where I'm going. And it's not for you to physically be there, but you are going to be with me for, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, but you aren't physically there. No, where I'm going, you're not going right now. I'm going to do this as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world. But when you put your faith in me, there, there it is. That's when you follow me. That's where you go. And, but Peter, of course, he doesn't understand it. Verse 37, he says, why can't I not follow you right now? And in good old Peter fashion, let's don't look too harshly at him because we kind of do the same thing. Why can't I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. <coughs> and Jesus answered, will you? Really, Peter, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And we know what happens. And we'll read what happens in a couple of chapters. We know what happens. Before the rooster crowed, the very next morning, because this is nighttime. I mean, we're not talking. If it's already dark... The rooster crows, you know, before light. I mean, we're not even talking maybe six hours before a rooster's crowing. And the same one who says, I will never, uh, I, I will lay my life down you regardless. He denies him three times. So we know what happens. But here's what I want us to see. At first, we were kind of comparing the disciple. I'm saying it's John who knew the Lord's love for him with Judas, who was the one who betrayed him and turned him in, you know, Satan's filled him. But we can't say that Satan has filled Peter, can we? I don't think so, at least. It doesn't say that. But here's what I see. You can tell me what you see. But here's what I see. Peter, follow me now. He is still approaching Jesus. He's still approaching God because he, he knows that Jesus is God, Right? Mark chapter 8, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
So he knows that he is divine. He knows that he is God. So, but Peter is still approaching Jesus, God, from the perspective of what I can do for you. You see that? Let's rewind it. He says, I will lay down my life for you. So Peter's approaching Jesus still from the perspective of what I'm going to do for you. What covenant is that? New covenant or old covenant? You see it? It's old covenant. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do to prove my loyalty, to prove my devotion. Give me whatever list that you can give me, and I'm going to do it to prove my love for you. So Peter's still approaching Jesus from a what can I do for you perspective. But you see, I believe John, in comparison to Peter, has seemed to turn this corner. He's turned a corner, because John was a good Jewish boy just like everyone else, but John seems to have turned a corner from the what I need to do for you to more of a perspective of what Jesus, in, in, in time and space right here, is going to do for me. And from our perspective, what Jesus, what, has done for me. You see those two perspectives, those two takes? Peter, this is what I'm going to do for you. I will lay my life down. Jesus is like, no, you're not. You can make all the promises. You can actually start a convention, start a whole movement. You can be the first promise keeper ever. We'll get the t-shirts. We'll take our shoes off at the Georgia Dome. It'll be awesome. But you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. All the promises you can make. But again, John isn't sitting there laying his head upon Jesus's bosom saying, hey, Jesus, here's what else I'm going to do for you. I'm going to write three more books. I'm going to go to the Isle of Patmos and write Revelation for you. I'm going to... No, he was just resting in the affections of Jesus for him. Do you see these two perspectives? Do you see these two men's? Do you see these two covenants? This is the divide, friends, between an old covenant perspective of what I need to do for him and a new covenant relationship, old covenant religion versus a new covenant relationship. Peter is representing, Lord, this is what I'm going to do for you. John, who, who knows the love, who knows the heart of Jesus, representing what, look at what Jesus has done to me, what Jesus has done for me. See, this is the divide that needs to happen in the church. Because I don't think, typically, generally speaking, that people in the church are, quote, filled by Satan to go and betray Jesus to hang him on a cross, generally speaking. But is there not a great tension within the body of Christ between these two perspectives of what I need to do for him, my plans to do for him versus resting in what he's done for me? and his affections towards me. I think there's a great need to, to stand on one side or the other of that line, of that divide. And where are you on that divide? Divide. Are you still like Peter? Are you trying to prove your love for Jesus by what you do for him? How did that work out for Peter? We know what happened. Three times, standing by the fire, one time, wasn't it a little girl, the scripture says, and he starts cursing her? I don't know the man. Bleep, 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 bleep. It didn't work out too well for Peter, though he was so earnest and zealous, I will lay my life down for you. I mean, Peter probably hadn't even gone to sleep yet. Think about it. He didn't even sleep to forget it. Like I say all the time, like, uh, hey, what did you have for lunch? He says, I don't know. I slept since then. You know, like, that's my little excuse. I've slept since then. I, I, I don't remember. I've slept since then. Peter didn't have that excuse. He's been up all night. He just said this. Not even six hours. Probably less than that. Maybe four or five hours. So it didn't work out too well for Peter, though he meant to. I think with all energy, with all devotion, with all commitment, he is saying this as best as he can, I'll lay my life down for you. Now, he did cut off the ear of that one guy. So we've got to give that to him. 
But here's a question for us as we wrap up. How about we step over, and it's not necessarily a one-time step. I think it's a continual step. Step over from that old covenant religion of trying to prove our love for Jesus by what we strive to do for him the step over that into the new covenant reality that I think John is showing us beautifully of just simply resting and relaxing with Jesus because of what both Jesus has done for us, his death for us, but let's don't forget about what he's done to us. He has crucified our old man, he's dead and gone. He's eliminated the sin debt. There is no more sin that the Father holds to your account. And he has raised us as a new creation, holy and righteous, spotless, without spot or blemish. Our journey marker, let's just kind of summarize this into a simple thought, kind of chew on it, think about it throughout the week. It's just this. To know Jesus' love, think of John, to know his love is to relax with him. It's just that simple. As we know his love for us, it enables an ability to relax, recline, if you will, against his very bosom. Now, was all of John's stresses in his life eliminated at this point? No. He still had his mortgage. He still had his dad's fishing company that they left three years ago that's going under because he's not there. He still had, you know, the next day, the burden of, I got a new widowed and now sonless mom to take care of. Um, You know, there's a lot of stressors in John's life. doesn't mean that life is easy for John. And it's not going to be easy for John. I mean, John, like all the other, he ends up up in captivity as a prisoner in the Isle of Patmos. It's not easy for John. But what is he able to do as he knows the love of the Father for him? He's able to what? Relax. Be at peace. You know the song, uh, of course you know it, um, it is well with my soul. Isn't that John? Because of a commitment he made? No. Because he got to know the heart of Jesus for him. So does this mean we don't ever do anything for the Lord? Well, you're just saying we just sort of relax and just sort of, you know, uh, chill and never, you know, talk to our neighbors about Jesus and never, you know, I'm not saying that at all. That, the fruit of the Spirit, is the natural outflow of getting to know His love for us. Because we go from this perspective, especially where I grew up, you know, um, hey, from between Sunday and Sunday, I want you to talk to five people who don't know about Jesus, all right? So next Sunday, when you come back to Sunday school class, I want you to tell us about the five people that you, you talk to about Jesus. And so like Saturday night rolls around, you're like, oh crap, you know, I don't have anybody. You know, you, you go talk to the dog, you know, his name's Roger. And so you Sunday school, yeah, I talked to Roger, you know, about Jesus, because you don't want to lie. You got to talk to somebody about Jesus. You don't say that Roger's the dog though. And so you just come up with these, because of the intent of, I've got to do this for him. I got to do this to prove my love. Or else I'm going to be that guy who didn't talk to anybody about Jesus. It goes from that system to man. I can't help but telling somebody about this because it's changed me. It's changed my affections. It's changed me from the inside out of who I am. And so now it is the natural, supernatural byproduct of a revelation of of just what? Of how much he's crazy in love for you. He's laid down his life for you. And that he's now in you. And you're now one with him, which we'll get into as we get into chapter 17, especially. So we're not talking about we are actionless, that we are, uh, we, 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 make, we do nothing. Uh, no, that's not it at all. But it, it, it's a now a, a desire from within versus external, what do I need to do in order to? It's a because of rather than in order to, in other words. Well, those are all the thoughts that I have uh, for chapter 13 before we head out and pack up our stuff. Anybody have any thoughts or questions or, but what about, I just think it's so cool that in this betrayal passage, you have again, threaded in, in it, love, not only 
the disciple knowing the love, but Jesus making this command, if you are going, uh, uh, here's the command, love as I've loved you. But the only way for you to even do that is for you to wrestle with my love for you. I just love it. I love it. Any other thoughts, though? Questions, comments, but what about? Yeah. Mm. Because you know, if someone tells you, oh, that's a great word, yeah. Them, uh-huh. You want to kind of draw near to them. Wow, that's good. And so I didn't think about that. It's sort of you got it going both ways. Yeah. So, like to put your if 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 uh, if if Jim were to say, "Hey, my my father is going to pass away tomorrow. The doctor's just called. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to give him a hug. We're going to give him a phone call. We're going to like reach out in that sense because." We love him because he knows how much we know how much he loves us. Sort of uh, yeah. of a deal. That's a great thought, and I never even uh, thought that way. But it just, just it just manifests. It just shows that relationship even between human to human level. One person can love another, but it doesn't necessarily mean yeah. There's love back. Right. That's good. Very cool. I never even thought about that. Anything else? Any other thoughts? Yeah, Brent. So we spent uh, the July 4th weekend with some friends in Cincinnati. They're believers too. I'm a Catholic like I do. Yeah. And uh, we've talked before, but in this time, it goes back to the scene where people look to Paul and what you see Paul's telling us, showing us, telling us how we need to be better, better people. Taking that and almost like making it law. Right, right? yeah. Yeah. And and tough discussion, dude, but it's just it's like just focus on how much he loves you. Yeah. You know, just think about it, you know. I mean, about one of the and, and all those things are great, they're good, they're right, but you know, it's like Paul was writing about specific examples that churches were struggling with at the time. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know. It was it was hard. It's yeah, hard, it's hard for, but you still see it. And when you bring things up like that about, about trying to achieve, mm-hmm. it's just the focus. Is, it's like you understand, but you don't. You see it, but you don't really see yeah. it. Yeah, right. No, I understand completely what you're talking about. The phrase I hear a lot is, you know, well, yeah, that's the gospel indicative. You know, you are righteous, you are, but you've got the gospel imperatives, you know, don't this, do that, you know, and so they try to turn it into what you're saying, like this new covenant. It's not 613 laws to abide by, but it's, you know, now, you know, right. Yeah. This show me how to be better than one with him. So it's not about becoming a better person. It's about a revelation of what I, he has now made me become, what I now am, and that's uh, and I, again that that's that's. So you can read so you know telling just reading the scriptures is wonderful, but you can read the scriptures with the lens of the old covenant religion, and it just is more old covenant religion. But until there's a revelation of 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 the of the true condition of our unredeemed hearts. And the cutting out of that, and now the birth of a new, and who I really am, and this love that's created at all, you don't really see anything, you know, you want to see or, or try to see, you know, deeper. That's great. Sad, because it's all too common. I think it comes down to a society still living and believing in works versus yeah. passion, love, yeah. Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. And allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you. And, That's right. And let that reflect all people. Exactly. As opposed to, I've got to do this, this, and this. Right. Thing. Yeah. It's the pattern of this world. Because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, when Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. What is the mind being renewed with? With a revelation of our new life, our new heart. Our, that's what he's 
described. That's in Romans 1, 1 to 11. That's the whole thing. He's like, so don't be conformed anymore, chapter 12, when he says this, to the pattern of this world of, of you, you do in order to be knowledge of right and wrong, but instead be renewed. Look what I've just shared you in view of God's mercies, in view of what he's, what I just wrote you about. <laughs> let's, let's change our thinking. And, uh, but that, that's the pattern of this world. That's, that's my natural inclination. It's all of our natural inclination, but that's why the call is for the renewal of these unredeemed minds to think the way he thinks instead of the way the flesh desires to think. It's a great point. That's our condition. Uh, that's the earthly condition of even our minds. Any other thoughts? All right. Cool. But hopefully it's in, encouraging and, and, and enlightening, not because of anything that I say, but just because hopefully we're just trying to put this stuff into proper context and a perspective of what's really going on. I really look forward to chapter, four, you know, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. It's all the same night. It's all, all this is one conversation. Um, at the end of chapter 14, he says, all right, let's go. Let's get out of here. Chapter 15, verse 1, he keeps talking. It's like me. He's like, hey, look, we're going to move on to something else. But then we keep talking about what we've been talking about. I love it, you know, because it's just so much. Um, so I look forward to getting into that. Anything else? All right. Well, let's uh, be closed with a word of prayer. If you have any uh, questions or thoughts or want to catch up or anything, by all means, let me know. And um, we'll hope to see you next week. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace, your goodness, your patience, your mercy. We thank you that even in the darkest of moments here, where the identification of a man whom Jesus lived with for three years, who's going to betray him. I mean, the darkest, saddest moment, Jesus even identifies himself as being troubled in spirit. We have this beautiful, glorious enlightening picture of what resting in your love really is. While Judas is out filled with the Satan to scurrying around in fear, I believe, of what can we do to get Jesus to manifest himself as the earthly king, fear-based, John is just relaxing in his love, laying his head on his chest. As Mary Rose beautifully implied, almost comforting him because he just is talking about a betrayal, betrayer, encouraging, consoling him, perhaps. It's beautiful because he knew his love. So, Father, we just thank you that even in the darkest of moments, there's these radiant, glowing pictures of life truth, reality. So Father, pray as we go out this week, we know that the pressures of this world remain, but that we can relax, we can enjoy you because you have done something, not because we have risen to the occasion, not because we have accomplished some goal, but you have done it. You have ended the old and have started anew. And yes, we stumble in many ways. We fail often into sin. But because it is already 100% forgiven and gone, cast away, nothing takes you from us. And we thank you so much. May we live as we are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Feel free to stick around and catch up. Um, we'll, hope you have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. 
If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.